0: Welcome to the Rebe Name Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. Tonight on the show, we're going to do our standard news roundup. We're going to talk about the 30 Rock finale. We're going to talk about some Super Bowl commercials. And we're going to talk about the status of Marvel's Marvel Now initiative. Uh, with me on the show tonight, this is a pretty quick and easy introduction. We have Chris. Hey,
1: how's it going?
0: Because everyone else is traveling or being terrible.
1: <laughs> um, most likely being terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, the most, most of them are being terrible. But Sam and Ashley are off, you know, gallivanting around Florida. <laughs>
1: No oh, you know they have they're offering it in the state an open bounty on pythons right now like I if do you know that <laughs> yeah if you bring in a certain number of them you could win like a large sum of money.
0: I really like the idea that salmon actually are not at Disney World but just Python hunting.
1: Yeah, like they went down there with the intention of going to Disney World, like having a nice little vacation. But then Sam found out about the python bounty, and that's all they've been doing ever since.
0: Ashley's just sitting there like in sunglasses, (laughs) drinking something like a Diet Coke. And Sam's like, I got another
1: one. (laughs) Just wrestling them with his bare hands, just (laughs) choking them out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's that's what I picture uh their Florida vacation is like. Ash has yeah. got sunscreen all on and like a big hat and Sam is just wrestling pythons in the in the swamp region.
1: I'm sure they'll tell everyone all about it when they get back. We'll make a segment of it.
0: Yeah, next next time on the show, Sam will be like, I have no arm now, because a python ate it.
1: <laughs> His
0: name is Gregory, he lives with us now. <laughs>
1: Gregory
0: <laughs> the Python. Okay, well, well, uh that was that was lovely. Why don't we do the news roundup, Chris? Why don't we start with you and uh, let's talk about some
1: news. Okay, so my show of interest is um it's I think came out a little bit towards the end of last week or maybe mid last week, but what I'd like to talk about is the announcement that amazon.com uh in has their Amazon Studios up and running and that they are going to start developing original television series to stream on the web. And they have, as of now, ordered six pilots and they're going to produce them and then air them all at once. And then viewers are going to have the option to vote on which shows they would like to see turned into uh, ongoing series, Uh, which I think is uh, very exciting because, I mean, we've already seen Netflix enter into this area. Uh, we've seen Hulu start to kind of like dip its toe in the water, but I think what excites me about this is a the I'm sure the money Amazon has behind to put into this endeavor, and also the idea that fans are going to have quite a bit of input, and it's going to be very democratic in terms of we will actually have a say in what shows we want to see produced, um and in a very direct way, which I think is a cool very cool model, and I'm excited about some of the uh, possibilities that are um, On the docket for the new shows we might be getting from Amazon.com, well, Amazon Studios.
0: Yeah, I like this. I always thought, and I mean, it's completely impractical, but I always thought that television studios spend so much money on pilots they never end up showing. They should just do like pilot marathons in the middle of the summer, and then like if people get excited enough about certain pilots, maybe they get picked up even though they weren't going to originally. Yeah. Like I always thought that was a good idea, even though if it's like I said, it's probably not going to happen because it. Just, you know, the logistically is complicated. So I think Amazon doing something sort of similar is great.
1: <clears throat> you know, that would be a very interesting model because I'm sure, like, TV does have, like, weeks where they could just, like, advertise it as such an event, sort of, like, pitting shows against each other sort of thing. I mean, they, networks love doing stuff like that, competition sort of uh, between different shows and just, like, make it into one big crazy week. Yeah, and but, they don't
0: lose any money because they've no, already, totally. they've already, they already have the shows,
1: the episodes. So and, if no one watches, oh well. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Why not? I, I feel like you haven't lost really anything. No one's watching in the summer anyway.
0: And if everyone watches and loves a certain show, then, yeah. then you have a hit that you were just going to throw in the trash can that you can
1: save. And I think this is, again, just very – I really like the direction that digital television, online television is going. I think that there's a lot of potential there uh, in terms of both – opening up the medium to new voices that would never have a chance on the network, um, playing around with different maybe kind of edgier concepts or just concepts that aren't the same cookie-cutter things we expect to get from networks, or even just maybe going as far as at some point experimenting with format, like not being married to the 22- or 40-minute uh, time slot. You were talking about this the other day that if you want, like to no, no.
0: Yeah, no, I, I yeah. think that's exactly – when I was watching House of Cards, I mean House of Cards is a show that I think was basically – I don't know that it was actually filmed, but it was a show that was conceived for HBO or network TV. Uh, <clears throat> clearly from the content, I've been watching it, and I know that you haven't started it yet, but from the content, it's clear that either Netflix was like go to town or they had conceived it as, as an HBO show and then HBO and Showtime or whoever didn't want it. But like, it's very much – this could easily be on television, and it's that's fine. But I, I, I foresee a situation in which networks or internet networks rather you know like Netflix Amazon whoever's going to be producing things on the internet could get away from the idea of this basic structure. So you have I could see yeah seasons being different lengths based on the story that they're trying to tell or episodes being different lengths based on the amount of story that they want to parse out uh, or based on you know narrative choices. So You could see you know finales that are two and a half hours long versus some mid-middle of the season episodes being like 15, 20 minutes. Um, And it's it's that break in form that this allows that network TV can't really do as well or as easily um, that I think could be very interesting if someone decides to go in that direction.
1: Absolutely. I think you could really have a revolutionary sort of rethinking of how pacing works in television, like a serialized storytelling manner. You could really just have an entire new model of pacing that is entirely dictated by story, not so much the constraints of having to fill a time slot. And I think that television would be stronger as a result of it. I mean, there'd probably be some bugs to work out in the beginning, but at the the end, I think you get a stronger product out of it.
0: Or at least a different one, which I think is indeed very interesting. Because we get, like you said, you get sort of a lot of cookie cutter on on television, even among shows we love. Like there's there are structures to the way that seasons develop,
1: you know. Yes, um, yes, there are rules to it, and it's there's a predictability involved in it that I I think that we being um, very uh, we we love TV so much that I think we're both used to it and can recognize it very easily, but we tend to try and forgive it a lot. Um, but I mean, I think it would be interesting to see it something different and also very interesting to see more options of places to go to for original content and television. Like now we have new shows coming original shows coming from Netflix, from Amazon studios. We've got Hulu getting in the game. I mean, these are just more open avenues for some shows that could be really great and really compete. And you could see, a scenario further down the line where maybe one of our favorite shows of the next couple of years would be produced solely online, like a digital first.
0: Yeah. And... I mean I'm, I'm sort of always a fan in art of like more, right? Like even if it's more crappy stuff, the more we have, the more chances we have for something great that might not break through in the networks or to HBO to find a place to be broadcast. Um,
1: oh, totally. And, and this – I mean this just like jumps the carrying capacity of like the current network system in terms of like there are only so many television networks that are going to create shows and unless new networks spring into existence, which really doesn't happen very often, we kind of can have a ballpark number of how many new shows we're going to see each season. I think this really opens that w- number wide open. And, it's open a lot right there.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. You should just leave the podcast. Now, um I I think that's right and as long as my my only concern is in the long run, you know, if if internet broadcasting becomes very successful, that you might see, you know, the death of network television, which is—I mean, this is a long, long run, obviously, and that's that would be disconcerting to me because I think it does serve a purpose. I um, do too, and I like it. Uh, but as long as it just means more and not, uh, you know, not competition killing off one segment of the market. Yeah, uh, more I'm and okay, healthy that. competition. Exactly. Healthy. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think. I, watching House of Cards this weekend, I loved um, I loved the fact that the whole season was out at once because that's a way that I like watching TV. Even if I don't, wa- I don't like to watch all my TV that way. You know, I like I like to have several shows that I'm watching weekly. But yeah, I could I could really get behind if Netflix is, is successful with this. Three having them have three or four shows a year, or even you know four or five shows a year that come out every couple months. And Netflix, a new Netflix season is up, and it's like, oh, cool! This weekend I'll watch a season of television, or you know, over oh, yeah. the next few weeks at my leisurely pace. However, like I'd, I'd like to watch it, this can just spool out as I want it to, as opposed to, you know waiting till the network wants to air the next episode.
1: <laughs> I think Netflix has actually kind of trained a whole generation of TV viewers to watch television like that. Well, serialized storytelling like that. So I think it's very cool that they are continuing that with their own original content and that this is a new way to, um, appreciate stories and do it at your own pace and enjoy it. Like you're, you're in control.
0: Yeah. And I, I like that. Like I said, I, I don't too. want all my TV to be that way, but I, I do like some of it to be that way. And, um, Instead of having to, you know, sometimes it's like, maybe I'll save this show and watch it all in one chunk. Uh, I don't know. Now it's like, well, I don't have to make that decision because Netflix is releasing it all in one chunk. So it's been yeah. saved up for me by them.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Let me ask you something. Have you had a chance to look over the new slate of shows that Amazon is talking about producing? Yeah.
0: I, uh, I, I've i looked at it, and it, it's six comedy pilots. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Specifically comedies. And they're Anything all, stand out to
0: you? They're pretty much all. Uh, Established, like the Daily yeah. Show writers are doing one. Um, actually, I think the Daily Show and Thirty Rock writers are combining on on one of them. The uh, The Onion is doing a behind the scenes program. Uh, yep. yep. And Kristen Schaal is doing one, so it's like it's people that we like, um, which is cool. But also, you know, in the long run, if they keep doing this, uh, if it's successful for them, you might see voices that aren't already established being able to get something out through through another medium. Yeah. Which is nice, because. I mean, as much as I like the people I like and I'm excited to see new things from them, it would also be cool to see new things that wouldn't have been able to air uh, anywhere else come up. Well,
1: on the I, I think that's what also you, – you have that kind of mix in there because uh, one of the shows, Those Who Can't, I, I believe is written by uh, some people who are very much newcomers to the scene and very much new voices who we haven't seen anything from before who Amazon actually discovered as far as I can tell. And they're doing a show about um, – teachers i think like very young people who are teaching i'm gonna assume in high school or something but um just i it sounds kind of like workaholics a little bit but set in side of school which i think there's a lot of potential to that idea and i'd give that pilot a look i mean i'm gonna give all of them but
0: i think we were talking about this before the show um and i think when amazon does the pilot thing we should do a segment um where we watch all the pilots and talk about them because that seems like a good idea
1: yeah, I agree. Let's and do it. also,
0: for those of you listening, um, if you have not watched House of Cards yet, I am almost through the first season. Chris, I think you said you were going to start it probably this week.
1: Yeah, I will probably start uh, in the next couple days and hope to be done very soon. So, so
0: assuming that several of us have have watched all of House of Cards in the next week or two, uh, we'll probably do a segment talking about that, just because I think it's a cool new thing that uh, that Netflix is doing. And um, for for the show, you know, the show's not perfect; it's got flaws, but it's pretty good. And um, definitely, you know, good enough to be in the conversation with a lot of things that are on regular television. So we'll
1: we'll
0: talk about that once you've seen it and once hopefully some of the other people on the podcast have have seen it. Um, But for now, if you haven't watched it, listeners, go check it out because we're going to talk about it and we'd like you to be able to engage in the conversation with us. Um, Anything else you want to say before we move on to another news story?
1: No, I think we did it
0: mine's mine's gonna be very simple this week it's not really this has been news for a while but it's more of a public service announcement if you will because i you know i mentioned this to you uh 20 minutes ago and you're like oh i didn't know that was happening um and i think you know the super fans will but some people might not but my buddy valentine has released a new album today uh the their first one in 22 years since their landmark loveless which was awesome um and so everyone should check that out. It's really good, by the way. So if you if you are My Buddy Valentine fan and you haven't listened to it yet, I haven't fully absorbed it because it came out today, um, but it's good and maybe it's even great once I've listened to it a few more times. So check it out if you like them. If you don't, go check out Loveless and then go check it out because it's a great album. So Chris, I don't know, Do you, are you familiar with My Buddy Valentine at all or have you not listened at all?
1: I, I haven't. It, would you say this album would be a good place to start, or would it be better to go back into their discography and work up they, to it? They only have
0: two albums um, before this. This is their third. Um, Loveless, their second album, is sort of like their magnum opus. Uh, it's the album that almost bankrupted their their uh, record label and almost like destroyed all of them. And it's beautiful and wow. it's like unique and it's it's just it's fantastic. Um, and 22 years later, they they've come back to to do it again. Um, They're back. And you know, obviously, I've listened to this album twice, and it's not, you know, I'd like to listen to it several more times before I speak eloquently on it. So this isn't like a, a review segment by any by any stretch, but I think people should check it out because it's it's cool that they've come back and they've made a new album, and it's not Chinese Democracy.
1: <laughs> yeah, always nice when our favorite bands come back with something that doesn't completely make us question why we love them to begin with.
0: Exactly. Um. So yeah, Chris. Um, I'll I'll make available to you Loveless and the new one, and you can check them out. And listeners, you should all check them out as well. Um, So that's all I have to say on that.
1: Excellent. I look forward to that.
0: And now we can move on and talk about uh, the end of of 30 Rock. You know, one of, I think, definitely one of mine, and I think one of yours as well, favorite sitcoms of the last decade. Oh, absolutely. Um, And had, in my opinion, just a stellar final season, uh, probably in the conversation to be one of the greatest final seasons of a sitcom ever, I think.
1: I would definitely agree with that. I think that the show had a plan for an end game and I I'm not gonna say it spun its wheels in previous seasons, but I think there were definitely a couple seasons that where it wasn't really the strongest thing on television, but once they knew that they the end was near, they everybody involved just really brought their A game for pretty much a consistently great season that I can't really think of a weak episode among the bunch.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Um, especially the, the more we got into it, like the further they got into the season, the more I just felt like they were just hitting such highs, and it was, you know, it was all time great episodes of the show that were coming yeah. at the end of the at the end of the line, which is not that common.
1: Perfect send-offs for individual characters, including their amazing stable of tertiary characters. I thought almost all of them got a great send-off, uh, and really um, wrapping up. Like the longer running plot lines, I mean, I, I didn't really think that you I didn't really think we would ever see this much character development and emotional growth from thirty rock, but they packed so much of it into one season that um you really, I think retroactively have to take back some of those criticisms about the show that it just is kind of very superficial, silly all the time that they can't do good character work because they did this season they did yeah phenomenal
0: and that's works. i i've uh, it's actually I mean, Not by too much, and I think other shows will tie it this year, but 30 Rock is the show I've written about for the longest for the site – and I think yeah. one of the things I said the most was like 30 Rock doesn't really do character development. Like it's not a show that really needs you to care about its characters except Liz and Jack. They're all kind of cartoons, and as long as they're funny, that's fine. Um, and that was sort of the party line in the show for me, and I think from a lot of people who talk and write about the show. was like whatever, like Tracy and Jenna and Kenneth and all of them, they're cartoons that just populate the, the show, and as long as they're funny – and they are, that's fine – um, but this season really challenged that and really, I think changed my mind, you know, it yeah, maybe it made me care about all of these people. And when something good happened to them, I was happy. And what's what really impressed me was that in the last several episodes, you started to, you started to see like. Evidence that the writers of this show always knew these characters better than we ever gave them credit for, and it was all less random and more coherent. And I don't know if when I go back that'll hold up, but in these last few episodes, they seem to make they seem to make Tracy make sense and Jenna make sense uh, in ways that I hadn't always given the show credit for being able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of my uh, weaker episodes of Thirty Rock always were the ones that involved that felt like the basic breakdown for the episode was. Liz has a work crisis. Tracy and Jenna do something weird, Um, and I I definitely felt that everything was much more motivated in this season. There, everybody was on a very clear trajectory, but without losing that kind of madcap silliness that was the soul of the show. It, It felt very much in place within the tone of the show that was created, and not like, oh, we just have to do all this stuff at the last minute. We have to wrap things up in a way that's satisfying. It didn't feel like that's what they were doing. It felt very natural. It felt very organic and it just was very sure of itself the entire process
0: i agree um when i was writing about the finale and if you guys want to read about a lot of 30 rock i covered the last season over the site so go check it out dot com. um but when i was writing about the finale i was thinking and it's like the show managed to get goodbyes out of every character even like sociopathic jenna who doesn't care about anyone like they managed to get them to say goodbye and to pull our heartstrings a little bit without betraying the characters. You know, the mirror trick with Jenna, where they like removing her mirror um, made her finally realize, like, wait, I can't stare at myself anymore. Like, I'm having an emotional reaction to this thing ending. And it felt like it came from a place that didn't feel shoehorned into her character. Like, it felt completely believable that she would react that way. But it also made us have an emotional reaction along with her, you know?
1: A surprising emotional reaction. Like, you wouldn't think you would have that. I, I didn't realize how much I cared about Jenna until that moment. And I think I had a lot of very similar kind of reactions in the season.
0: Yeah. And, and especially, yeah, I think Tracy and Jenna are the biggest examples because Kenneth yeah. was like, Oh, he's a good soul and I care about him. And you know, the writers, it was always sort of like, okay, well, like, I kind of understand they're lazy and like, they're kind of similar to me in a lot of ways. So fine. But Tracy and Jenna were always like, these are like cartoons. They're insane yeah. people. Um, and yet, They were able to to root them in real emotion, I think, in the last few episodes, and that was really impressive.
1: Yes, it it was just a testament to great writing and having a great plan going towards a finale. Um, I like where a lot of the characters ended up. I thought uh, one of my favorite episodes of the season was um, the episode, the penultimate one before the finale, where um, uh, Kenneth is given the keys to NBC. He is made the new um, president of the network. Which uh, I thought was that was just an amazingly strong episode all around. And another great emotional beat where the writers and Tracy and Jenna finally stepped up and did something nice for Liz, which but, I thought was just such a satisfying moment.
0: And it was also like they did something nice for Liz by not betraying their characters, right? Like they're all lazy, terrible people. They were like, we're yeah. just not going to do our jobs anymore, but it's also a nice thing for Liz. They and did the nicest
1: thing part. they could possibly do in a way that was still really, really shitty. And yeah, but, <laughs> that's that's – Brilliant writing. So I. Right.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of sitcoms where it's like everyone has to have a happy ending. So characters start behaving completely differently than we're used to um, so that they can get their happy endings. And I think yeah. it's really impressive that 30 Rock managed to have its cake and eat it too on that.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's uh to that shows credit that they did that. I mean, um and I, I just want to go back to something a minute ago where it's like not only did the characters we have come to follow the entire time as the main cast have great send offs. Like if 30 Rock really followed that Simpsons model of having like this amazing stable of great background characters, always around, always doing things. And I think we got a lot of great moments from them this season, like a lot of finality, like a lot of our favorites were brought back in new and exciting ways and just given perfect send offs. Leo
0: Spichemin uh, becomes a uh, attorney or surgeon general.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one of the ones I was definitely thinking about. I love that. Leo Spichemin is attorney general and, um, Oh, Will Arnett as Devin Banks and a brilliant final turn as Devin Banks.
0: Yeah, and and that's that was the sort of thing the show did really well with the fact that it was the last season. It's like It was a show that had a lot of great guest stars over its run, and knowing that it was the last season, was able to get a lot of them back, although I don't think it ever really had trouble getting those two. But,
1: yeah, you no. Know, you had, uh, had
0: Slan Moore and Selma Hayek come back for a cameo, which neither of their characters was all that beloved when they were on the show, but it was nice to see them again.
1: Yeah, and the the jokes worked for pretty much all of them. I, I love the Steve Buscemi uh, – Oh my so. god,
0: that was great, and he's like, yeah, he was a character that every time he was on the show, I was like, oh right, Steve Buscemi plays a recurring character on the show that I always forget about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but they
0: they brought him back, he was hilarious, and he got a happy ending.
1: Yeah, he really did, and a very unexpected one, too. Yeah. Um oh.
0: Yeah, I think, I think for me, perhaps probably the highlight of the final season was that penultimate episode, uh, a goons Dean in a weird world where Kenneth gets NBC and Liz gets her children and it all like everything tied up in a way that I was glad there was more left afterwards, but that felt like the climax of the season to me. And it felt like a very emotionally resonant climax. Like I was, I was laughing a lot, but I was also, you know, I was tied up in everything that the characters were doing and everyone was getting good things and it was just, and you know, watching, uh, Liz's children show up and just be little Tracy and Jenna was perfect.
1: Oh, yeah. I I can't think of a more perfect beat that this season hit than that moment where she just kind of looks at the kids like mini Tracy, mini Jenna, and says to herself, yep, that's about right. (laughs) Liz Lemon, I will not be able to go to school tomorrow. Problem with my lizard. (laughs) How could this be anything else? Like how could she have any other – twins from Transylvania, except for ones that were exact replicas of Tracy. Exactly. And Jenna. Uh,
0: And that was great. Another thing that I, I, I do want to come in the show on, because this yeah. is something that I didn't think that it was going to be able to pull off for a while is giving Liz her happy ending with Chris. Um, James Marsden was awesome on the show. And for a while it was like, you know, I think two years ago, maybe three years ago, they married off Floyd uh, Sudeikis's character, who was kind of her perfect yeah. Person, and they, they married him off and they made it clear that Liz couldn't end up with the guy that we always assumed would come back and she ended up with. Uh, and I was like, well, so where is Liz going to go? Because we know Liz has to have her happy ending. And I don't know if anyone's going to beat Floyd. And then see,
1: I was watching the show. I was never sure that Liz was going to have a happy ending. Like I, I was never convinced of that when I was watching it.
0: One of the struggles that I had in this final season, um, and I, I kind of went back and forth, in it and I ended up very happy with how the show handled it, was the idea that it seemed for a, for a little while in the middle of the season that Liz was Liz's happy ending was going to be, you know, she was married, she was going to have kids, and she was going to leave the show. Yeah. And I like that. That's great if that made her happy, and you know, I want Liz to be happy, but. The show was always sort of about Liz and how she loved her job and how she wanted to be great at her job, but she also wanted to have it all. Yeah. But like, I felt like as as much as I wanted to see Liz happy, I also wanted to see Liz happy having it all. You know, I didn't. I, I wanted the message of the show to be that this can be done, even though it drives you crazy and it's hard. Uh, and I was worried for a little while the show wasn't gonna go that way. But it did end up going that way, and I thought it executed it perfectly. It, it made it clear that Liz couldn't have it all in the sense that she couldn't run her crazy show, but she could yeah. figure out a way to balance work and, and home life and be happy. And I, I thought that was executed perfectly.
1: She needed to make sacrifices to do it, which I think was a way that made that ending work for me in the sense of that it wasn't just like it all magically clicked into place at some point. She got to have her dream to an extent. Right. And I think Which I think is I think is a satisfying for. I think it's I think a lot of the show was the emotional arc of the show for her, at least, was like this journey of trying to find out she can have it all. And they, I think the answer was yes, but to a point. And I think that's a very fitting answer and a very mature answer for a show that was um, mostly just geared towards being very fun and very silly for the entire time. So I think I think there's a, a lot more depth to the wrap up than um, the show. And then I thought the show was going to deliver.
0: And I I mean, I think we've said this 15 times during the segment, but I thought it was really smart the way that the show said, you know, she can have it all in a sense, but this show is not going to, you know, running TGS was killing her. It was taking all of her time and ruining her personal life. And maybe like that, that says something. It's not that she can't have a job. It's that this job is not like sustainable for you to have this and anything else. Yeah. Um, and so I loved that uh, her, her Grizz and hers managed to be her happy ending. <laughs> yeah.
1: Would you watch Grizz and hers, Jordan?
0: Um, I would definitely check it out. I imagine yeah, that too. it's not sustainable as a premise, but, um, I liked Grizz. I always thought he was a fun character and, uh, yeah, I would definitely check out that show if it was a real show, <laughs> especially if, if Tina Fey was actually behind it. Cause I'm sure yeah. she would find some way to make it awesome.
1: No, I think that yeah, I I would you know if NBC is listening, and I'm sure they listen to this podcast all the time. We would. Definitely what else are they doing? Right, answer. they have nothing else to do. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Putting out fires around the studio and
1: watching uh, and listening that, uh, to the podcast. That Tracy sets to ward off Frankenstein's. Which, as far as we know, has worked. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. It's like a lot of the little. I th- I think they were saving a lot of their little funniest sidelines for this season because uh, there was a period where it was almost sort of like almost family guy mad lib esque element to it. Right, but like the season had a lot of very memorable aside lines and ones that I, I'm gonna probably consider to be some of the show's strongest writing.
0: And I feel like there's a there's a thirty rock there was a thirty rock template, like you said, it was sort of mad libs where it's like, you know, say something, comic pause, like undercut it with whatever the rest of the sentence is. And like that was yeah. that was the structure of joke that worked best for the show. And when it was when it was at the best, then it was hysterical. Um, but when it wasn't, it did, it did feel a little bit like like a Mad Lib, which is a good way to say it. And I agree, even outside of the comedy, which is something, the show usually wrote comedy very well, and everything else like, okay. But one of the things that stuck out the most to me about the actual finale was Jack's I Love You speech, which was just a great piece of writing that was, I mean, it was a little funny, but it was mostly just like a serious declaration of, of real platonic feelings.
1: Yeah, it was a very nice moment that uh, at first, I was a, I, I was a little afraid that it was a joke that just wasn't hitting, but the more I listened to it, the more I realized what it was and really loved that moment of the episode and found it to be maybe probably the perfect exclamation point I could ask for for that relationship, for one of my favorite relationships in sitcoms of the past however many years.
0: And what I what I really liked is that like it managed to have that moment and I think it could've gotten away very easily with Jack just sailing off to like find his happiness. But then he immediately turns around in a very characteristic fashion and comes up with clear dishwashers. Yeah. Like, I'm turning around was great. I la- like I, I uh, my heart was all, you know, fuzzy and warm and I was happy with the way the relationship was. Ending. Yeah. And then I was laughing hysterically a second later at the way it perfectly undercut it. And it's it's something that, you know, at the moment I was just laughing because it was funny. But as I thought about it, it was like that was, again, just a really smart, really like perfect way to end. Um, Yeah, basically, I think I'm saying the same thing about the show in a million different ways right now. But it was I was very satisfied.
1: Yeah, I think satisfaction is a great word for it. I think that is what the primary emotion I experienced watching the final season of 30 Rock is that uh, I, I I came back around to appreciate the show in a way that I, I think I realized that how much I had been taking it for granted for the past four or five years. I mean, I always watched 30 Rock. I was always current. I never thought about stopping watching the show, but it was never at the top of my list of must watch shows or if I had like limited time, I would watch, other shows first and save 30 rock for like later in the week or weekend when I had some free time to finish up my late, it was never at the top of my viewing pile. And I think watching this season made me really think about just how unique 30 rock was as a show and how much I'm going to miss it from the current television landscape as, because we always talk about like shows like community and parks and rec being trailblazers, but I think community 30 rock really was too in a way that we just kind of, after a while, at least I did, came to think of it as being very dependable, but maybe not a whole lot of sizzle. But yeah. I think the sizzle really was there all along, and the zany, madcap, live cartoon character sort of thing.
0: I think I think that there were, you know, I think the show's second season and its third season probably um, were like... I think for those two years and i'd have to look back and see what else was on the air but i think for maybe those two years it was my number one comedy on television um yeah but its first season i think was uneven like it was figuring out what it wanted to do um and then you know four or five and six were hit and miss and not sometimes not as good and sometimes very good um and so it was always yeah i think for for a lot of its run it was sort of an also ran in terms of like i always enjoyed it i always liked it a lot if i was listening my comedy comedies on TV it would be listed but it was never like this is number 1 for like yeah. bulk of its run. Um and I do I think I think sometimes it was because the quality was lower than it was at its best and sometimes it was just because we did, we were taking it for granted. Um uh, because it was it was always good. Uh even when it was bad it was still pretty good.
1: Yeah, it was still worth watching than a lot of other stuff that was on television. I mean like I said I was never like dissatisfied with it. It just never they went through a period where for whatever reason it wasn't wowing me and maybe that was Maybe that was less stellar episodes. But again, this is a show that ran for a really, really long time. It's hard to keep every season as consistently great as the one that came before it or even better. So I think that pretty darn good throughout is a an achievement. Absolutely. And yeah. and to, to have the heights
0: that it had at its best and to end as well as it did. I mean, this is a show that— I will rewatch probably again and again. And a show that will be in the conversation when I'm talking about like my all-time favorite sitcoms, which is a huge accomplishment. A lot of shows that I would have considered, like How I Met Your Mother, back in the day, I would have said, yeah, this this is a chance of of making that list. But at this point, it does not. Like that show yeah. That's a show that I will hopefully, you know, maybe I'll watch the early seasons again someday. But I may, by the time it ends, you know, if I even keep watching it, as I keep saying, I may not. Um, I may never even see the end, or I may want to never watch it again if I do see the end. Whereas Thirty Rock I think will will stand the test of time and will be up there in consideration for, you know, all time greats.
1: I agree with you, and especially a lot of that comes down to just uh how well they ramped up towards the end. I mean, I, I don't think we would be having this conversation as favorably as we are if it wasn't for just like how much they refocused the finale of the series and gave us a season that really just hit all the right beats the entire time throughout.
0: Yeah. Well, like I said, it's very rare in sitcom history to do that. You know, most shows sputter and die. Like they, they go on too long and they're bad at the end and then they're over. Um, and so it's rare. I don't think, I wouldn't say 30 Rock went on too long. Like when I was, when I was reviewing season six and it was very hit or miss, I was like, well, I like, I think the show, like, it could end this year, and I'd be okay with it. But yes. then, like, when they announced that season seven was the end, they came back and did like a fantastic last 13 episodes, and it felt right. Like I, it wasn't like how much mother were for like the last five years. I've been saying this show should end. Why does it keep punishing me? Yeah. Uh, it I I really you know even when I thought like well it, like maybe we're getting close, I never thought like this show should have ended a long time ago.
1: No, I I, I definitely felt like it was a right time. Like I I mean it's. I will definitely miss Thirty Rock. I don't think it overstated. It's welcome at all. Uh, I think that they picked a great time to end it, and they ended it in a great fashion.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, any last thoughts before we move on from Thirty Rock? Because I think we've kind of i've I've said my piece. I've said it's awesome in several different ways
1: for. A yeah, we're just kind of gushing over it now. <laughs> um, let me think. I I mean I'm I, I think. It is going to be a little more, I mean, not actually difficult, but I think 30 Rock kind of allowed NBC to laugh at itself in a way that was kind of important for a network that's been having some hard times over the past few years. So I think that, that they allowed this show to take as many internal shots as they did kind of maybe made me view some of their more Outrageous decisions in a little bit of a favorable light. It was the, the self deprecation definitely helped me um, swallow some of their more bitter pills, I think.
0: I, and I don't even know if it's NBC laughing at itself so much as it was. Like, I, you know, NBC uh, with Musty TV Thursday, even though I don't, I don't know if I was my age now if I would have loved it, like, I grew up on yeah. NBC comedies, you know? And the show, like, it sort of felt like 30 Rock came out at a time where NBC was no longer. Uh, at the top of its game, and and eventually started going into a serious downward spiral. Um, and so, as an NBC kid, you know, if I if I had to pick my favorite network from the course of my life, it would probably be NBC. I think NBC has given me like a lot of shows that I love, and it's it's had brand like a brand that I've always enjoyed. Um, yeah. So I think. It was personally for me and for people who were like me, it was great to have 30 Rock on to be like, we know that, you know, like at least 30 Rock knows that NBC used to be great and isn't at the moment. And we can laugh at it. Like, you're still watching and like you're laughing at how ridiculous it is. And so are we.
1: Yeah. And I really like that about that show.
0: Yeah, um, you know, you had things like Milf Island or like my favorite running gag Bitch I think, of uh, Bitch Hunters was great. My favorite running gag of this season, I think, was Celebrity Homonym. Oh, yeah. That was... No, it's the other one. Every time I laughed at that. And, and it was like it was funny because you could almost see NBC putting any of these shows on the air. At oh, that yeah. Point. Um, like they were always funny, but they were always funny because they were slightly
1: plausible. <laughs> Very much so.
0: So uh, with that. Good night, sweet prince of 30 Rock. We will miss you. Indeed. Um, And you will stand the test of time, I am sure. So congratulations on a great run and on an excellent end. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the finale as much as we did. Uh, Let us know what you think either way. For now, why don't we move on, Chris, and let's talk a little bit about the Super
1: Bowl commercials. That seems
0: like a a pop culture thing we should talk about.
1: Yeah. Only I don't really have much to say. I did not think it was – I didn't think it was an especially strong slight event. I mean, I always liked the Super Bowl ads a lot when I was much younger. But as I as as I've kind of grown up, I I mean, I I wasn't a football fan for a very, very long period of time. So I would always kind of mostly just I was young. I liked watching the Super Bowl for, you know, because it was exciting. It was like a big night in television. And, you know, the ads were funny to a younger audience. Like it was always They always kind of grabbed your attention. But as I grew older, I became more interested in the football and less interested in the advertisements and found them as a nice break to get up and go get some snacks and whatnot. So I was kind of only half watching this year. Um, And even the ones that I went and tracked down the next day and kind of like went around to a few sites I like to watch their roundup of the best ads or the weirdest ads or the dumbest ads. um, I wasn't really blown away or wowed by any of them. Uh, What were... I don't even remember a lot of them to be honest with you now, and I just looked at the list a few minutes ago to prepare for this podcast. Yeah,
0: literally, like I do, I didn't remember almost any. Uh, while Chris and I were talking about like, well, I guess we can do a segment on this. Why not? Um, I was like, there was one commercial that I really liked last night, but I don't remember it, which doesn't speak very well to the commercial because it was like you know, 24 hours ago, and I've already forgotten uh the one that I liked, and it was one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, which you know, it's pretty terrible. A few of them that were okay. I liked um, the Samsung mobile, the next big thing with, uh, that was basically just um, Seth Rogen and um, Paul Rudd and Bob Odenkirk just kind of riffing for a little while. Yeah,
0: I remember um, talking to one of the people I was watching it with and saying like, wow, so they were just like, we've got, we're going to put a lot of money in this. Let's just get good people and then like, just see what happens.
1: Which I think is, I mean, it wasn't like the best commercial I've ever seen or anything, but I, I definitely liked watching it. It was, it made me smile a few times. I, uh, I, I thought it was good. It wasn't great by any means, but it was very, very watchable, and it was entirely watchable, is what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a thing that happened in my life, and I, I didn't remember it till you said it, but now I do, and it was like, okay. Yeah. Um, I also kind of like the, uh, the milk campaign with the rock where do you see this one yes i mean
0: i theoretically saw all of them okay paying attention in and out i guess but
1: i i mean i think i have a little bit more of a favorable opinion towards dwayne johnson than others do so i always think it's kind of funny when they put him in kitschy like super action star like the McBain kind of role and um i just kind of liked how the situation that he was dealing with just got more and more and more ridiculous, but like he couldn't get involved in it. like his proper, was the milk when they finally gets it. And then he can get down to business of saving the world, which I, I thought it was charming. Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah. one of those. It was like, okay, like that's, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. um, So I enjoyed it. And the, the only ad I can say that I really liked, well, no, dare I say loved was um one of the first car commercials that I think I will ever remember. And it wasn't funny, but, I, I mean, the effect it had on the room where I, I was watching it uh, with about 15 people. Um, And when this commercial came on, like, the room almost instantly kind of quieted down. And only one time somebody tried to say something, make a joke, and immediately the entire room was like, shh. And we all just kind of sat there watching this thing, mesmerized by it. And this is the Ram uh, farmer commercial. Mm-hmm. And I I've watched it a few times since, uh, just to kind of like reevaluate in a different kind of circumstance and it holds up. I really feel like, I think it was the strongest, uh, ad out there. It was unique. It um, captured your attention It held your attention. And I think it'll stay with you, which is something that a lot of car commercials really have a problem doing because they pour a lot of money into their commercials. But at the end of the day, even if I do remember the commercial, odds are I'm not gonna remember the car.
0: Yeah, that's I felt like that was true of a lot of the other car commercials that did something like sort of interesting where it was like, that was kind of funny, but I have no idea what the car was like five seconds later. Which is the yeah. case with almost every car commercial ever, ever. Is like they show the car driving fast and they say like this car is good and I'm like, it looks like a car to me and I've already forgotten what you're talking about.
1: Um, but with, a, with I, but, a little disclaimer, not to try any of the stunt driving at home. Right, but like, you're, like you're driving right that, up the that, side of a mountain.
0: You're right that the the Ram commercial really stood out as something different, um, and unique, and very good. It was a good ad. You're right.
1: Yeah, so that that would be the only one I can say that I actually loved. Um, as for the ones I didn't like, I mean there were a lot. Like the two broke girls ad, I thought was just it wasn't even edgy. It was just really really dumb. And then it got even more dumb when they tried to throw a gag line in there. Um, and then that uh, Talking Baby, I forget which company it's for, that the, the gives you financial advice. Right, or eFinance, finance whatever, e-something. Yeah, I hate that. I hate those commercials. I just cannot. They bother me so irrationally when they come on. I, I just, I'm just in a bad mood for the next two or three minutes. Yeah. Talking Baby's skeeve me out, man.
0: I remember, it was. it's funny you mentioned the Two Broke Girls ad, which I, now that you say it, remember. And I remember um, people in the room being like, wow, that show's terrible, but Kat Dennings is attractive.
1: Yeah, that was like, pretty that much was, the reaction. That was, was the takeaway. It. Is like, oh, right, yeah. like,
0: I remember that I that I enjoy her and, like, that I actually think she's very talented and funny in the right situations, but it's not on the show she's on right now. And watching that kind of made me upset. Like, yeah. mostly I just remembered, like, I've seen her in things and thought she was funny. And what she is currently doing, I do not think is funny. And so, great. Like someone who I could enjoy in theory is off doing something that I will probably never be able to enjoy. So it's like she's being wasted.
1: It's very sad. (laughs) Wasted on like the most watched comedy on television or whatever it is. Oh god, don't remind me. (laughs) I think that's still The Big Bang Theory, but that Two Broke Girls can't be far behind.
0: CBS does their like uh, their ad that I've been seeing several times, but they had it last night. That's like. Thank you for making us the most watched network. And all the shows that they have people from them saying, it's like, oh, my God, you're
1: all bad. Even I Met your mother now. It's like all of you are terrible and everyone watches you. (laughs) My reaction to every one of those people is just fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Really go fuck yourself. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It's just just a terrible slate of programming. I can't – I mean, how I much your mother mother is the only thing I'm still watching on CBS, and I only do that because you force me to. (laughs) I, I keep doing a cage and like Chris, you can catch yeah. for
0: water when you finish your How Much Your Mother Review.
1: My uh, my friend and I um were hanging out one night and we we tried to watch a little bit of Big Bang Theory because we've always been curious about why it is the most watched comedy on television. If maybe there is something to it that we've just kind of universally dismissed, and we couldn't even get past the cold open. No,
0: I've, I've never it. seen a full episode of that show because I always, like, it comes on, and I'm like, oh, like, maybe, I, yeah, like, exactly. Like, I'm a little curious. Maybe I should check it out. And then, like, four or five jokes don't land, and I'm like, this is not for me. I can't do it. And I just yeah.
1: Nope, that's pretty much my reaction, too.
0: So. But, you know, I'm not all that curious because Two and a Half Men has been one of the biggest comedies on television for its entire run. And that yeah. was always a terrible show.
1: I uh, I was doing this thing for a while where – um. If you watch, like I, I we were Tivoing It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and then we'd play reruns of Two and a Half Men on FX. And our recording would always catch like the last four seconds. Yeah, that happens sometimes
0: of, on, like, when I watch Justified or uh, other. Episodes. Yeah, I'm behind it, on Sunny,
1: but the the last four seconds of Two and a Half Men out of context are always. Hilarious. Like there were a few episodes of Always Sunny where that was the best moment of the show we watched. It's
0: sad. To me, like every time the ta- I would see a tag and be like, like just a moment of despair. Like this yeah. is a television show that is this bad that is like universally beloved by the average audience.
1: Well, we never even got like the context or a line to explain the situation or anything. It was always like a character like crawls across the floor very slowly. And <laughs> it was
0: <laughs> like Charlie's had sex with yeah. 17 women in, in this episode, guys. Like, are you
1: have you ever seen uh, Garfield minus Garfield? Uh, yes, and it's cool. it was it was very much like that that kind of a viewing experience.
0: Yeah, it, it's almost like it, it, it's funny in how not funny it is and how like yeah. sad almost. It yeah, is.
1: It, it's 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 just a more contemplative moment instead of anything else. It's it's
0: like this is this is like how some human beings decide to live their lives apparently. Yeah. Um so Super Bowl commercials I you know I think you're right that they were good when we were kids and I feel like they haven't been good in at least a decade um whether that's a quality thing like I haven't gone back and watched old Super Bowl commercials or just an an age thing I don't know but I don't yeah. really remember anything when you reminded me of a few ads I remember having okay feelings about them but that's the what I would say is like all right that's a thing we kind of have to talk about because as a culture we've decided it's a big deal even though I don't know that it is anymore so here we are, but I don't know.
1: Where do we go from here?
0: <laughs> so any any final thoughts before we move on?
1: Definitely not.
0: All right, well, Super Bowl commercials still a thing. They're gonna be a thing forever because the Super Bowl will continue yeah. to be a thing until we all realize that football probably can't be a sport anymore.
1: Which I would I would say check out that that Ram ad, the God Made a Farmer Ram commercial. I think it's worth a look.
0: I think you're right. Like I actually think that was a it was a. It was the most interesting commercial I've seen in a long time. So yeah. that's saying something. So good job, Bram, and check that out. Um, with that, why don't we move on? We're going to talk a little bit about the Marvel Now initiative, which is still still rolling out, but is it, it largely rolled out, I think. And I think you have a better idea about it than me. So I'll kick it over to you to describe, and we'll sort of go back and forth.
1: Okay, so I apologize for repeating myself. Every time we talk about this, I feel like I kind of have to preface it. So what happened was... Uh, Marvel kind of came to a point in their publishing line where um, they needed to respond to the major uh, relaunch slash reboot that DC did the year previous, where they took all of their titles and relaunched them. They fooled around the continuity to make it a clean slate for a lot of these titles and received a huge sales bump as a result. So Marvel kind of had to do something similar, but theirs was a lot different. Like DC rolled out their relaunch in the course of a month, which was – an absolute insane period of time. Like, I, I remember just being a crazy person. That yeah,
0: was, that was my first month of law school. For some reason, I decided that you and I were both going to read all of the new books. Yeah. And so I was like, I was doing law school for the first time and reading comics regularly for the first time. And I felt like I'd gone insane.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't doing nearly that much work, but I still felt like a crazy person. So what Marvel did was they did a similar – like a lot of new books got – they they had come to a point in time where a lot of writers were finishing up maybe three-year or five-year or in some cases eight-year runs on particular titles. So they kind of did a musical chair shuffling. New writers took on new books. um, New titles were launched. Um, and everybody got a new number one. All the continuity stayed the same. There was no kind of reboot or restart or clean slate or anything like that, but what you got was a very clear point where you could pick up a book and try a new series. If you hadn't read the book in a while or if you had never read comics before, I think there were a lot of very clean jumping-on points that you could dive into the Marvel Universe and get an idea of where things were and where they were going. So Marvel has been rolling these out. Uh, generally about one, maybe two a week. They started in, uh, November and I think the last of the books will be out in April. I still think we have about maybe five or six books yet to launch. So we're at a point where we've seen kind of the majority of the line, at least launch, if not be maybe three or four issues in now. So I think we're at a point in time where we can kind of talk about it a little bit, uh, talk about what we like, what we don't like, and maybe draw some comparisons to DC. Um, So I'm going to start off by saying uh, – let's start off with the idea of the different time frame for the rollout. I mean we just talked about how terrible it felt like trying to keep track of 52 new books in one month, like 13 new releases a week for four weeks straight. So how do you feel about the Marvel plan, which was one new book a week for about four or five months straight?
0: I've vastly preferred that um, because I similarly – you know as I gave every new DC book a chance before summarily cutting almost all of them out, I decided to give every Marvel book a chance, um, uh, as they were rolling out. And it's so much more manageable to be able to read, you know, especially because I didn't care about roughly half of the DC books. I was just reading them to say like, I've read all the new 52 and I've given yeah. everything a shot. And I did, I found some things that I wouldn't have read otherwise that way, which was great. But ultimately it was like, it was more an exercise in completism from a freak like me who was obsessed with that. than it was, uh, a quest for something awesome. And so if I'm yeah. looking at like, for example, I'm looking, I'm looking at the books that, that have come out in Marvel now right now in my, uh, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the list and yeah. when a book like Thunderbolts uh, that I wasn't all that excited about or you know, um, Morbius, the living vampire, things like that, that I'm like, I like I'm almost certainly not going to be reading this after an issue. It was one issue that I had to get through that week, you know?
1: Yeah. It um, wasn't like a slog where it was like, just, I mean because there, there were some pleasant surprises in these, these new 52 relaunch, but again, like I, I'm maybe reading a, a, at most a quarter of their output right now, and that's pretty much the number I arrived on after doing that month-long slog. So that's still like every week I like maybe three of the 12 or 13 books I read. And, so that's and even like most of the surprises good. that I
0: picked up, I have since dropped. Like I read All-Star Western for a while, um, then I dropped it. Uh, I read yeah. Demon Knights while Paul Cornell was writing it, and when he left, I dropped it. Um, so like even some of the books that I would not have read and I read because I read the first issue and liked it, uh, I have since said, you know, uh, it's not worth my time. I'm done. So yeah. ultimately, I, yeah.
1: I'm I like. going to agree with you that I really like the way Marvel has been doing the reloge. At first, I thought it was going to be like just – it was going to get kind of like new issue fatigue after a while, just because it was just going on so long. Like, here's another new issue. Here's another new issue. Here's another new issue. But I actually think it had a very positive effect on my reading experience in that. Well, I also think this part of this was just Marvel really planned this relaunch a lot better, but I felt like for the most part, all the titles felt like they had a very distinct identity. And I definitely got a lot of, um, the feeling when I was reading the DC books and like massive clumps that like, oh, this book is exactly like this book. Why did these two books exist? Um, where I didn't really get that feeling when I was reading the Marvel books. And I think it was a combination of A, there's space between the launches and B, they did a little bit of a better job of figuring out a distinct identity for each individual title.
0: Yeah, I haven't. I've read a lot of Marvel books that I won't be reading again, but I don't think I've read one that I felt like this is the exact same thing another book is doing. Like each one has a clean premise that is different than what any of the other books are doing. Even the two X-Force books, like there are two X-Force books that could very easily uh, be redundant, but they don't they didn't feel redundant at all.
1: No, they they felt like very t- two very distinct titles. Like that was kind of one of the things I laughed about when I saw. Book. For the most part, I was very excited about the majority of books that were coming out from Marvel now. Like every new announcement I saw, I was just generally very excited. Like they were putting uh, creators I loved on characters that, for the most part, like some of them I said like, oh, so and so is perfect for this book. Like Jonathan Hickman on Avengers. Like oh, that's that's brilliant. I I can't wait to read that more. And then you'd have something like. Rick Remender on Captain America, and I think to myself, "Wow, that's a really out of left field choice." But I'm excited to see that. Like that, that's exciting to me. That's new. That's different. And I don't have any idea what it will be like, so I kind of want to check that out. Um, there were very few books that I kind of rolled my eyes at the announcement of, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um. I know. Like I follow this by proxy, really, through you saying, like, "Hey, here's a new announcement. Check this out." Yeah. Um. And I, I couldn't really get all that excited about uh, Marvel. now. Like some of the books sounded cool. A lot of it, I was like, I don't know, you know, like I've liked the the runs that just ended, but I don't know, I don't know if, if they're going to be able to keep me with, with this new run. And I've, I, you know, I've been wrong. Like uh, we already talked on the podcast previously, briefly, I think about how wrong I was about Bendis all new X-Men. Um, yeah. And I freely admit that that book is phenomenal and I was not excited about it at all. But there are there's a lot of there are a lot of books that I would have said like okay like that's maybe interesting that are like incredible and are you know have really got their hooks in me and I'll be reading them for a long time coming. Um, what
1: were what were some of your other big surprises?
0: Yeah, let's. I was gonna say, why don't we talk about I guess surprises slash favorites? Sure. Because um, I don't know I don't know how surprised I was by some of my all time favorites, but um, all time all time favorites in like the three or four issues they've had that yeah. is
1: um, favorites so favorites far. Of- Favorites of the past few months.
0: Right. Um, also, actually, before we do that, I wanted to say one other thing, which is sure. I, I really respect Marvel for their attempts to get 18 issues out of a year instead of 12. And I think that's helped the relaunch a lot because um, it's it's much it's much easier for me to go, like, I just read issue one. Two weeks later, issue two comes out. Like, I was kind of on the fence. Maybe I'll check it out because, you know, it's just it's so quick that they kind of keep me going.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes when you have these many new books come out. There are ones that are on the bubble and it really helps to have a few samples, boom, boom, boom. Whereas if you know that there are some books coming out later that you definitely want, it would usually be easier to drop that if you didn't have like that rapid fire sampling ability
0: and i think like I'll, I'll contrast it with uh you know dc's justice league which like the first arc was a slog and it was six months long yeah and i was like i, I don't know what this book's gonna look like outside this arc because it's like getting the team together uh arc and it's taking forever whereas you know marvel's avengers getting the team together arc is was four issues i think well yeah, it's three. Issues. Th- yeah three. three issues yeah three issues right yeah the first three issues so that's a shorter but also it came out within like a month and a half, right? Yeah. I think it was six weeks. And so it's like, if you wanted to see what the first arc looked like, or if you want to see, like I usually do, like, what does this book look like in arc two? Or what does it look like once it's moved past its initial story? Uh, that happens much quicker. And I'm much, I'm much more willing to give it a little bit more of my time to see if it's going to work out. Whereas DC, it's easy for me to say, like, I didn't like this issue. I have to wait four weeks for another one. Maybe I
1: just, won't yeah, it up. I, I definitely found it much easier to make decisions about what I wanted to continue reading and what I wanted to drop. Than I did with DC. DC was just, it was a slog for a lot of books. Like, it was just like getting through these massive first arcs and then seeing if, you know, it was just opening night jitters or just right, exactly. like the tone of the book that we are going to get throughout.
0: Because you want to, yeah, I, I want to give each book a chance if I'm, like, if I'm really going to read something. Usually I'll just yeah. you and say it's not for me. But if I'm going to read a book, I'm not going to read two issues. You know, I'm going to read sure. an arc or two to see, like, if, once it gets in it gets its groove into its groove it's going to be something worthwhile and it's much easier to do at marvel where you're getting the issues much faster
1: yeah definitely um
0: so now that we've done that some favorites from you why don't you start us off
1: um i mean i i'm really liking a lot of the avengers line uh i think that especially the solo titles are all very very strong right now Uh, Captain America, I think, was one of my big surprises of the relaunch, but quickly grew to be one of my favorites of the bunch. Uh, I think uh, Rick Remender is really smart in crafting this kind of -of fish-out-of-water story for Steve Rogers, especially since, um, I mean, the character for the past decade has been defined by Ed Brubaker. Like, Ed Brubaker was the first and last word on what a Captain America story looks like, and Remender's— run is just so vastly different from that. Like he's taken Steve Rogers and he's put him in another dimension, kind of like on an alien planet and it's Captain America fighting space aliens and things like that. And it's just really created a very distinct tone from what Brubaker was doing. And it's still really, really good at the same time. But I also think that uh, Thor and Iron Man have been both very, very good. Um, Yeah, really all of the Avengers books I've been enjoying very much. Uh, I, I really liked Hickman's opening arc. Uh, New Avengers what didn't have the greatest debut issue, but the second issue really sold me on um, the concept and the premise. Um, I think my favorite books uh, of the line so far have to be um, uh, Matt Fraction and Mike Allred's FF and Karen Gillen's and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers. Those are my two favorite launches and um, two books that are already definitely um, eyeball, being eyeballed for my best books of the year. I mean, it's very, it's very early, but they're already on my big list, which I will whittle down throughout the year. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
0: for the sake of, of not being the same, I think uh, young Avengers had a great first issue and I'm excited to see more and FF and fantastic four have both been awesome. So Fraction's oh, yeah. is killing it. Cause he's got those two and Hawkeye and he's just, you know, basically every book he's writing right now is awesome.
1: So good yeah. for him. I tend to, I, I tend to forget fantastic four a little bit just because it, it, it is. It's so good. Like I, I it's I'm doing a disservice to it and not mentioning it alongside FF because really both books are of amazing quality. The the only difference is that Mike Allred's art is just so pleasing to look at and so unconventional that it it definitely stands out of the two. But Mark Bagley is doing great work on Fantastic Four. Um, Matt Fraction is telling a very exciting story and I'm really amped up for the direction he goes in, especially if he keeps telling these little done in one stories that are just crazy-out-there sci-fi concepts. So both of the Fantastic Four books are still amazingly strong.
0: Yeah, it's very impressive um, that he's able to pick up the torch from Hickman after such a great run by Hickman and just yeah. knock it out of the park from day one. And I also I want to agree with you on Captain America, and I think that was that's an example of the sort of opposite way of taking it, which is Remender said, there's no way I can top Brubaker. Brubaker's had a very distinctive style on this run. I'm going to do something wildly different, and it's been working out very well. Yeah. Um, so... You mentioned this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna spot highlight it a little bit more. Thor, God of Thunder, has been incredible. Um, that's the book that's that I you know I I did not ever really like Fractions Thor, um, so I, I didn't really expect to be reading Thor, but I gave the first issue a chance and it blew me away and it's continued to blow me away. Um, so that's a that's a book that is doing something very different. It's it's splitting each issue or I guess technically not every issue, but it's splitting the story between three versions of Thor, uh, the Thor of the distant past, modern Thor, and the Thor Thor of the distant future in which he is the last God still alive. Um, And like each of them is a compelling story together. They, they tend to have thematic resonance that they might not alone. And it's just like, it's, it's beautifully done high fantasy in a way that, Uh, Kieran Gillen's Journey into Mystery was, but Fractions Thor never really was. So I'm really excited about that book, and it's been blowing me away so far. And I do want to, for my other one that I will all highlight, I want to say again how wrong I was and how great all-new X-Men has been. Um, Because I'm a huge X-Men fan. Uh, After Batman, who was my number one comics character for all time, X-Men are my favorites. So... It was it was hard for me, um, knowing that I hadn't liked Bendis' previous work with the X-Men. I didn't really like House of M. Um, and I had never loved his Avengers stuff, even though I, I thought it was very readable. I was yeah. worried about seeing him take over the franchise because it's, you know,
1: I, I was— Especially at a time where I think you and I were both very much enjoying the direction of where it was going. Kieran yeah. I- Gillen and Jason Aaron, I think, had carved a very distinct path for— some very exciting stories that we were very anxious to read for a long time. And one of the things that I was most happy about was is that Bendis hasn't abandoned that story direction and it's just building off of it. And this is the next chapter.
0: Yeah, and I I kind of was worried that he wouldn't. I thought, you know, it's very easy to see, and Bendis ended his Avengers run going right back to the status quo, which was a little disappointing. And I was afraid, well, he's going to just jump on X-Men and take us back to a status quo very quickly. And I I think the X-Universe is in a very interesting place right now, and I didn't want to see a status quo. And I also wasn't too excited about the idea of bringing the original X-Men back. But yeah, he's done everything very well. He seems to be taking a logical continuation from the stories we've been seeing, and he's made the the original X-Men being their work. Uh, it's a it's a book I'm excited about, and I'm actively excited to see him take on Uncanny Avenger or Uncanny X-Men soon.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I think that uh, he definitely proved that there is a lot of story potential in the idea of the original 5 being back. I think he was very smart about making it a book about all of the X-Men for the first arc, but Putting the original five front and center in a way that really sold me on the idea that these five can carry their own book, this premise can be sustainable, and there's meat to it, and then the uncanny X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men can get back to their original business of telling the stories of the two polar opposite factions of X-Men that are in the world right now.
0: Yeah, and I, I really do hope that Bendis takes Uncanny X Men and does what Gillen was doing with it, which is like this is sort of the dark side of the X Men at this point, you know. They're yeah. they're on the fringe, they're they look a lot more like the Brotherhood of Mutants than you'd expect them to.
1: Oh totally. Um, I mean it's it's they that's basically what they are for all intents and purposes. I would have been fine if the book had been called The Brotherhood. Like I understand why it's called Uncanny X Men, it makes sense to me, but either way.
0: Yeah, and I I love the direction, that, and I'm glad Bendis is not shying away from the idea that Scott is a very morally ambiguous character right now, and it's not necessarily clear whether he's a good guy even. You know, yeah, he's done some terrible things in the last year. He doesn't have as much remorse as he might. You know, obviously he does. He uh, regrets killing Xavier, but ultimately he thinks what he did he did for good reasons, and he's not upset about it. Um, uh, and that's interesting to me. And I love I love the idea that that can give me the the weighty stories that that X-Men is so capable of telling while Jason Aaron continues to have as much fun as humanly possible over on Wolverine the X-Men.
1: Yeah, uh, and maybe at the end we should mention a few books that weren't Marvel now related. They're still very much worth reading. But uh, right now, I'd like to shift the conversation very briefly to ask you, um, are there any books that are currently kind of on the bubble for you that you're like, eh, you could take or leave at this point? The next few issues are going to dictate that. Um, let me, let me see.
0: Uh, cause I feel like I'm pretty much on board with everything yes. that, I, that I'm reading. Um, I guess, no, cause I really, yeah, I was going to say Indestructible Hulk, but I've really liked that. And I think, I'm, I think I'm gonna be sticking with it.
1: Me too. And if I remember correctly, it took a little while for me to love Wade's Daredevil. Like I, I, I didn't really get it until about Maybe six or seven issues in, and once I did, I loved the book. So I, I mean, it, the first couple issues didn't blow me away, but I definitely liked each issue more than I liked the last one. So I'm definitely sticking with it.
0: And I think that's the same. I know you highlighted this as a book that you're loving, and I uh, I'm not, but there's no way I'm dropping it. Is Iron Man? Um, you know, like it's been fine. It hasn't been bad by any stretch, but it hasn't blown yeah. me away. But it's Gillen, and I know that he's capable of greatness. Yeah,
1: I I, I, I did find the first story arc to be a little bit. Um, predictable maybe a little bit like by the numbers Iron Man story whereas I'm hoping now that we're starting the new direction of him in space <laughs> we can see some new uh, some some new concepts and ideas being explored so and I, I I love I, I love everything that Karen Gillan has done for Marvel, so I, I would be shocked if Iron Man was where he faltered.
0: Exactly. And I said this about uh Young Avengers when it came out. It was like that was an amazing first issue, but it doesn't matter cuz Gillen's writing it and I'm going to read it for a long time. Like he oh, gets so- the benefit of the doubt from me cuz he wrote one of my favorite books of the last few years and he, you know, his Uncanny X-Men was awesome as well. So uh, he gets He's a—he's an author that gets the benefit of the doubt from me for a while, and I bet he's going to get into his groove on Iron Man, and it's going to be awesome. So I, I wouldn't classify that as a bubble book. And I guess like most of the other ones that might be bubble books, I won't be reading, I don't think. Um, I read the first few issues of Superior Spider-Man and decided, nope, not for me. I
1: had the uh-huh. same reaction.
0: I, I, I read Uncanny X-Force, and I thought it was okay, but I don't think it's something I'm going to go back to. <laughs>
1: You know, I I actually kind of like that one. I found it to be flawed, but interesting enough that I definitely want to give the next couple issues a look.
0: Well, and I imagine that if it's if it if it's really good, you're gonna talk me into it as you yeah. always do. And I'm like, I finally cut a book, and you're like, no, but the last one was really good. And then I'm just reading it forever, thanks to you.
1: I mean, I think I had a huge pacing problem. Like some of the story beats just kind of came out of nowhere. But um, I think there were. Uh, some moments in there that were just so out there, bizarre that it—I I definitely found myself interested in the book. Maybe it wasn't—it didn't blow me away quality-wise, but it definitely piqued my interest. I so. think
0: I think it could very easily develop a unique take on the on the X portion of the Marvel universe, yeah. and if it does, it'll definitely be worth reading, and I'll I'll jump on board. Um, for the moment though, I've got you know, I've got uh, all new X Men, I've got. Wolverine, and the X Men, um, and I'm I am reading Uncanny Avengers, even though it's not blowing me away. So like I'm I'm doing okay on X books at the moment. But if it yeah. if it ends up being something that's worth reading in a few issues, then I'll jump on because X Men like Batman. If it's okay, I'm gonna probably give it a chance for a
1: while. Sure. Um, I think the only other one that I'm kind of on the bubble about is a book that I think you kind of dropped almost instantly because I think it was a very controversial pick. A very controversial concept, at least how both of us considered it, Avengers Arena, which is the um, the Hunger Games Battle Royale-esque book featuring a lot of Marvel younger characters that we really, really loved. Yeah, basically. are very sad to see them killed off. Exactly. (laughs) That book Uh, got a got
0: a chance for me um, because everyone does. But I I was pissed at the premise and they're big. There's probably very smart move of who to kill first pissed me off as well. And then I was like, you know what? I don't need this in my life.
1: (laughs) I am I'm very torn on that book just because, uh, I mean, I, I hate the premise as well, to be honest with you. I just, I don't know why we need this story. Like I, I don't really see a purpose for this story to be told, but it, the, the two issues of it I read were very well written. Uh, Dennis hopeless. Definitely, uh, has a very strong, his biggest strength, I think, is character work. And I think that's what he's going to mine this series for. And I, I, part of me is just isn't convinced that Marvel is going to do this the way that they have uh, stated they will. I, I, I can't really see them using this as a platform to kill off 15 characters. Um, I, I, I think there will be death in this series. I mean, there already has been. I think there will be a lot of death in this series. But I think their best-case scenario for this book is if it succeeds – you have, um, you a you found a home for a lot of characters that there's interest in, but it, I mean, never could really support their own books. Do and people will check this out due to the sensationalism of it, and maybe at the end of it, you have like half the cast, or maybe like five or six characters come out of this book with. A bigger profile and much more interest behind them, maybe are more viable characters than they were before they went through this very sensationalistic kind of series. So that's kind of where I think Marvel is planning to go with this book, but and I look, have nothing if, to base that on other than my own conjecture.
0: If uh, Avengers Arena ends up making some of the characters that I like, whose series have been canceled recently, more viable and uh, you know gets fan interest peaked in them, so they get their own books, um, great. You know, uh, that doesn't mean I have to read Avengers Arena though.
1: Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, Okay, Uh, any uh, – just to wrap up, uh, I I think that the Marvel Now relaunch has been a huge success for me. Um, I read a lot more books. I mean I'm pretty much reading the same amount of Marvel books I was reading before, but I really admire the way Marvel did things, that they have a very strong pool of talent, and I feel like there was a lot more careful consideration to who went on which book than there was at DC when they were doing their relaunch. Like, yeah, some great books came out of the relaunch, but I think on the whole, the Marvel relaunch has been much, much stronger than the New, the new 52 was.
0: I absolutely agree. And I think we'll, we'll probably revisit it as we revisited the New 52 once it's been going for a while and see, but I, I would not be surprised if I am reading more Marvel books uh, out of the relaunch than I am DC books yeah. uh, over the same period of time. Uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, Kept up with as many Marvel. Like I've been more willing to drop Marvel now books than I was New Fifty Two books because I've been reading comics longer at this point. Yeah. But the ones that I've uh, kept, I'm probably gonna keep for a long time. Um, and some some of the new ones coming out are intriguing enough that maybe I'll pick those up as well uh, for the, for the long haul. So ultimately, yeah. I would call it a, a big
1: success. So real quick, just to wrap this up, what are just a few books that you really hope don't get lost in the shuffle of Marvel now, like some Marvel books that you were enjoying that um, weren't relaunched but still are definitely worth people's time?
0: The big one for me, um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of this book and I can't say enough about it, is Wolverine the X-Men. The other one, obviously, Hawkeye. I think those are the two big ones for us. Um, Maybe the same. Maybe you have other ones, but for me, Wolverine and the X Men is very unique. It's doing something very different, and it's just a blast. You know, in the last arc, they had a it, they did a circus arc with, like, a Frankenstein subplot that was a little weird and wasn't as as uh, on as the series usually is. And I said, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, like, this is okay. But then the last issue was just stellar again, and it's like, okay. So, like, sometimes he tells a story that I'm not as into, but this is a book that I just love to death. Um, And Hawkeye, Hawkeye hasn't had a miss uh, yet. You know, it's just been.
1: I see what you did there.
0: Incredible. Yes, I, I was very clever, yeah. you, I think.
1: I so. will echo your sentiments on both of those books, and I will add to the list. Uh, Captain Marvel by uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick for just being a very, very solid superhero book and kind of um, similar in the model of Hawkeye and Daredevil, giving you a character that um, there's definitely a very distinct hook. You're very interested in Carol Danvers and her personal life, and it's a very charming and kind of grounded and thoughtful take on balancing a real person's life with the idea of being a superhero and what all of that entails so you keep I the telling sales... me that
0: you're interested in carol danvers and i keep going really
1: <laughs> this book sold me on her like I, I was not a fan before this but um the the book is that strong and kelly sudaconic has such a clear grasp of the character and has been so sure in her plotting of this uh book from the first issue that it's really it, it's not getting a lot of sales i'm a little worried about on cancellation so please if you're if you're looking for something to check out that isn't just like another X Men book or another uh, Avengers title, take a look at Captain Marvel because it's a really quality comic.
0: I'm gonna take a look at it. Um, I you know I, I've I've told you this a few times and I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I really will uh, check this book out at some point because you keep selling it to me and I keep not caring because I've read you know Bendis's Avengers and gone like Miss Marvel seems like just Superman.
1: <laughs> you definitely won't feel like that after reading this. Kelly Sue Tsutok- I think the best thing she does with this character is definitely sell the idea of Carol Danvers to you as a character who you should who you should and will care about.
0: All right. Well, great. Um, with that, we will, like we said, probably periodically update you on Marvel now and what we're thinking about it. Um, if you're not checking out the comics, there are a few that I think we've given you suggestions to check out, and you should. Um, and if you check them out and like them, let us know. Uh, and if you don't like them, you can also let us know. Uh, for now, uh, it's about time to shut things down. But first, we have to give out the famous Rachel Tardiff Memorial Award for best performance in the week. So,
1: Well, what's going to win? I'm, uh, I'm on the edge of yeah, my this seat week, right now. This
0: week was pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Um, the tabulation took almost no time. Our our trained sea monkey tabulators, which we uh, brought in this week, got it done really quickly and they're sea monkeys, so that was how easy it was.
1: Um, they're easier to motivate when they're hungry. Yeah.
0: We, yeah. we learned that by forgetting to feed them forever. <laughs> um, and, Darkness! And the winner is... Thirty Rocks cast and crew, like Yay. everyone involved in that show, deserves a big round of applause for just doing a great job the last several months, and um, especially in these last few episodes, bringing everything to a very satisfying close. So, from both a, an ensemble perspective and a, you know, the crew's done a great job as well. So, all of you guys can come down and pick up a collective trophy and a collective small cash prize, and just get a good pat on the back from all of us here at Review Me Named. Um,
1: Jordan will invite you to the Christmas party too.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a thing that will happen because it's a Christmas party that we have. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> on that note, uh, as always, you can check out our website at com. You can follow us on Twitter at ReviewToBeNamed. You can email us at ReviewToBeNamed at gmail.com and let us know what you're thinking of the podcast, of the things we talk about on it, or tell us here are some things that you think we should talk about on it. So we'd love to hear from you um, for now. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.